scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, and Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens beginning to tour open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out, of the, out into the wilderness. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Hey, Kennedy, great job reading, girl. Good job. Thank you. Hey, kids, uh, while you're with us this summertime, all right, sorry, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, sorry. If you would like to read like Kennedy read for us, all you need to do is talk to Mr. Grant and if you don't know Mr. Grant, that's Mr. Grant right there with the uh, behind the beard. He's not scary, kids. It's not scary, okay? Uh, talk to Mr. Grant. Listen, sometimes we think about the upfront roles, the reading, the speaking as the most important. They're not. They're important, but they're not the most important. A couple weeks ago, uh, I remember saying some kind words about our reader like Kennedy read. And then I looked out and I saw Bria handing out sermon note sheets and communion cups and collecting trash. And I told Bria later, I meant to say it publicly, the work that she was doing to serve our family is just as important as anything that happens down here. So kids, if you're scared of reading or scared of being in front of all of these people, you don't have to read. And there are other valuable ways you can serve our family. Um, so just talk to me or talk to Mr. Grant. We'll help you find a role that fits who you are, you know, the way that God made you as a person. Okay? Deal? Deal. Let's pray, and then we'll get right down to work. Uh, we have a lot to celebrate today. Before we start celebrating, though, in my opening prayer, uh, just to let you, you know, I want to pray on behalf of those people who lost family members in the Osprey crash earlier this week in California. So if you would pray uh, with me on their behalf, uh, I'd appreciate that. Father, we come to you as your kids. Uh, we need, we're needy kids. And we're not here to give you something. I just honestly, it sounds funny, but we're here to get. We, we need to receive from you. We need grace. We need your word. We need your voice. Um, so we're here to receive. Father, thank you for giving to us freely. As we begin, Father, we want to pause and we think of uh, the families of Nathan Carlson and Nicholas Lasapio and Seth Rasmussen and John Sachs and Evan Strickland. And this week, Father, each of those families learned 
tragically of the death of a loved one. And they are undoubtedly in the valley of the shadow of death right now, grieving, mourning, lamenting. And so, Father, we just want to pause and unite our mourning with theirs, expressing sorrow at the loss of their lives. And, Father, asking you as your kids to please be present personally and in power in the valley of the shadow of death with each of these families. We pray that their hearts would have space to mourn and lament, to be angry and to be sorrowful, to express all of their emotions. Father, surround them with people who love them and people who will point them to you. And Jesus, ultimately, please be their peace, be their hope. And over time, as the minutes turn to hours and hours, to days and days, to weeks and weeks to months, we pray that you would restore their souls, that you yourself would be their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So this morning, we're taking a short break from our summer sermon series. Does anybody remember the title of our summer sermon series? There you go. Ordinary people what? They do good things. You're right. Through gospel power. Ordinary people do good things through gospel power. Good memory. We're going to take a little break because today is Trinity Sunday and because it's our family feast day. And every time we have a family feast, we baptize. So I want to talk to you a little bit, not just about the Trinity and baptism in isolation from each other. I want to talk to you about how baptism and the Trinity are so closely connected with each other. So here's my big idea right up front. Oh, and I should say, so kids, there's our summer sermon note sheet, right? So just because we're taking a break from the Ordinary People series, all of my sermon notes are still on one of these pieces of paper. And kids, adults too, if you don't have one, they're all the way in the back by the window along with some, we got some colored pencils back there some regular pencils, and for the marine families in the room, we have crayons. <laughs> but they're to write with. They're not snacks, okay? Not snacks. All right, now that we got that out of the way. The big idea, baptism anchors my identity in the Trinity. That's what we're going to talk about today. Baptism anchors my identity in the Trinity. And just so you see that I'm not making that up, here's one of the passages that Kennedy read for us in Matthew 28, verse 19. It says, baptize them, the them being people who have been adopted into God's family, those who um, are placing their hope in Jesus, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, okay? So when we are baptized in or into the name, that means two things. First, it means there's a relational thing going on. I am baptized, my baptism is representative of, symbolic of, and a piece of 
me being in relationship with my Father, God the Father, and the Son, Jesus, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Through my baptism, what we're seeing is I have been united with God the Father, with God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So to be baptized into the name, if you need a word, it means relationship, okay? But there's another thing that it means. It means identity, right? In other words, baptism uh, is a beautiful picture and a piece of me being united to Father, Son, and Spirit. When I am united to the Father, I gain or derive a certain identity from the Father. The Father says something true about me, and so does the Son. There's a unique relationship and identity that I receive from the Son, and there is a unique, <clears throat> excuse me, identity and relationship that I receive from the Spirit. Now, we use the word anchor in our big idea. Baptism anchors my identity in the Trinity. We need anchors. I was reading a book yesterday that a friend gave to me, uh, and he was talking about how he's made his kids move so much. And he said over the last 15 years, he's moved his kids like three or four times. I'm like, that's not that much. Because I was thinking about all you guys. How many times have we moved out here, kids? Some of you are young, so it's only a handful. What do we got for moves? Yeah. Three. So you're young. They're gaining. What else we got? Five. I have a five. Any takers on six? A few in the back. Seven? You got a seven? Whoa. All right. Well, seven's coming. Hey. Oh, I got one over here. How many, Amina? Five. Five. You got more coming, too, don't you? <laughs> Hopefully your next move, though, was just like right here in Okinawa to a different house. So you stay right here with us, okay? Deal? Can we shake on that? Tell your dad later we shook on that. Okay. And tell your daddy's monitor, too. Okay. Why do we need an anchor? Because life rapidly changes around us. Kids are going to move a lot. Families change. People change. Relationships change. Everything changes. You need an anchor in your life. And what baptism does for us, here's the question. We, all through life, we ask the question, who am I? Who am I? Who am I? And we have a habit of answering that question through where we live or the job that we have or relationships that we have. Listen, guys, God wants you to answer the question of who am I through your baptism. And in baptism, the way he helps you answer the question is, he points you to the Trinity, right? So we're baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. Our, our identity is anchored in the Trinity. You need an anchor. Unfortunately, when we use the word Trinity, oftentimes we're like, man, that's kind of a dusty theological idea that belongs in a book that we have up on a shelf. And every once in a while we take it down. We're like, let's read about the Trinity. And we're reminded of the Trinity. And then we put our book back on the shelf. What's the dustiest book that you have in your house? Dictionary. Dictionary. Is that even still? We print dictionaries? <laughs> Any other takers? The, the what? Air Force Handbook. Uh, <laughs> yes. What did we have coming from the back? The works of Shakespeare, appropriately dusty. Yeah, appropriately <laughs> dusty. I don't know that I ever brushed the dust off of that one. Guys, unfortunately for many of us, that's where the Trinity exists, in the dusty book on the shelf that we don't ever take down. 
You know where it belongs? Not a dusty book on the shelf, but on your birth certificate, because who you are is found in the Trinity. It belongs on your birth certificate. What's one thing you look at every morning? Like for me growing up, uh, breakfast was not a social meal. It was a personal meal. What I meant was, what I mean is we get out of bed, you pick your box of cereal that you're going to eat for the day, and then two more, and you, you form like this little wall around you so you don't have to make eye contact with family members, and you eat, and you'd, you'd read and explore the back of a cereal box. Anybody else have a f similar? Glorious, wasn't it? Glorious. Uh, yeah, right, exactly. Guys, the Trinity and all of its realities belongs not only on your birth certificate, but on the back of your cereal box. Or what I mean is wherever you're going to see it every day and, and rehearse who you are um, in the Father, Son, and Spirit. Trinity as a word may be unfamiliar to some of us. Maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're not a Christian yet, but somebody in this room has been telling you about God and using words like the gospel and salvation. So maybe for you, Trinity is just one of those words like you heard it in the matrix before, or it's just like you understand it's kind of a Christian word, but not sure what it means. Here's the easiest definition. Trinity means one God in three persons, okay? Now let's just unpack that a little bit. Uh, the New City Catechism that was read for us at the beginning, uh, question number three of the catechism goes like this. How many persons are there in God? Well, there are three persons in one God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now there's a lot of mystery surrounding the Trinity, but there's also a lot that's very clear. There's a lot that's very clear. One of the pieces that's clear is how it relates to who we are as people or identity. Uh, with all the mystery, though, sometimes the conversations get confusing or we go places in the conversation that the Bible doesn't take us. So in the 5th and 6th century, a bunch of people got together and they wrote a creed to summarize the biblical teaching of the Trinity. We know this creed as, you ready for this one? I can't spell it for you if you want to write it down. It's the Athanasian Creed. It's long. I'm not going to read the whole thing to you. Here's just a piece of the Athanasian Creed. It says this. We worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one. Their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Thus, the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet there are not three gods, there is but one God. Long definition. If you're like me, back to the back of the cereal box, and you like pictures, instead of words, here you go. This picture essentially captures everything we just read in the creed. The Father himself is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God, but the Father's not the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not the Son, right? So there's a distinction between the persons. Why that's important is some people would, would say or believe that, well, when God wants to show up as the Father, he shows up as the Father. And then he backs off the scene, exit stage left, and at another time, you need some time with Jesus. So God shows up as Jesus. But your devotions are done, and you can't really spend time all day with Jesus, so you gotta, you got to go do your thing. And in those moments, you need the Spirit to show up and do Spirit things. 
and then you'll talk to God the Father later before you go back to bed. That's an unbiblical view of God. The biblical view would be one God, three persons um, that can be all three can be in the same place at the same time and even interacting with each other because they're distinct persons, right? Trinity. Now, what I want to show you this morning is all of those ideas don't belong in a dusty book on the shelf. They belong on your birth certificate and on the back of your cereal box or wherever else your eyes look daily to rehearse who you are as a person because your baptism anchors your identity in the Trinity. Before we can wrap our heads around that idea, though, it will help us to look at Jesus' baptism because these three identities are very clear in his baptism. And we can see his baptism in Mark chapter 1. Kennedy also read this for us. Mark chapter 1. Goes like this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. He's about 30 years old right now. He hadn't gone public yet. So this was his public introduction, if you will. Okay? It's foundational. He was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, <clears throat> immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. Have any of you ever seen the heavens being torn open? Let's talk about that later. I want to hear that story. <laughs> Could we agree that even if one of us in this room has seen it, which is possible, that it's a highly unusual event? Yeah, could we say that? Okay, so big, there's, a, there's a signal here, okay? There's one, one unusual event. Uh, and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Has anybody in this room experienced the spirit descending on you in, a, on, in the form of a dove and you could see the dove? Okay, so even if there were one or two of you here in the room, again, we would have to agree, highly unusual. Then the third big idea or, or unusual event is a voice came from heaven and spoke publicly. So God the Father speaks and says, you are my beloved son and with you I am well pleased. Have any of you had the heavens ripped open, a dove descend, and a voice from heaven declare that? Like in a public place so other people could hear the same thing you heard. So we would have to agree something really unusual, something significant is happening, right? Okay, so let's keep that in the back of our minds. Three identity statements. Here's what we're going to see. In this moment, Jesus is going to be announced as son, servant, and sent one. Now, we worked a little bit together in the first service because I, you know, I had to acknowledge that that's kind of, it's a son, right? Or he's a son, so it's geared toward the guys. So we did a little work. Um, so son, servant, sent. We could go daughter. Is that okay? But what do we have for servant? What would be a good D if we're building that out? Son, servant, daughter. What do we want? Disciple. Disciple. We could do that. What about, we could do doulos, right, for your little Greek lesson for the day. That means servant. So we go daughter, doulos, son, servant, sent. So we need a verb for the ladies. Daughter, disciple. Maybe we should go with that instead of doulos. Yeah. What do we got for a verb? Sent. Hmm? Serve. Serve. That's good. That's good. We'll go with that. So either way, whatever you want to write down, those are our identity statements. Jesus is going to be announced as son, servant, and sent one. All right, so let's start with the son. It's the most obvious. The voice, God the Father speaks from heaven. You are my deeply loved son, and with you I am well pleased. Now, let me just point this out briefly. 
if Jesus is just now kind of being announced publicly, he's 30, he's not really done the work yet that God the Father has sent him for, this is really meaningful. This means before Jesus did anything to prove that he could be a deeply loved son or that the Father should be happy in him, the Father announces publicly, that's my boy, and my heart is so happy in him, and I love him. Guys, that is what makes the gospel beautiful and different than any religious expression in this culture. You don't do anything to earn the Father's love. You don't do anything to earn your place in the family. The Father's affirmation comes first, and then the life you live flows out of the reality that I'm a deeply loved son. I am a deeply loved daughter. I'm already accepted the family because of the work that Jesus did, and I'm forever kept. So our sonship comes first, like Jesus, and then through our sonship, we live out our second and third identities. That is, we are servants and we are sent ones. So the son is very clear, right? Because God the Father, that identity is very clear. It's right there. But you're like, John, I don't see the servant piece. What are you talking about? Where, where is that? Well, let me show you. And the servant piece is connected to those three unusual events that we saw in the text, right? The heavens were torn open, a dove descends, a spirit descends in the form of a dove, and a voice from heaven speaks. If those three things happen at the same time, it signals that God the Father is up to something monumental, something significant. And he was. For generations, he had promised that he would send a rescuing king who would bring his rebel kids all the way back home. And the father chose to announce that season had arrived by ripping open the heavens, sending the spirit in the form of a dove, and announcing from heaven, here's the one that you have been waiting for, right? So anybody present would have seen these three things, and maybe they would have thought back to a sermon they heard as kids or to Sunday school class, that had been spoken originally by the prophet Isaiah. And here it is for you on the screen. Isaiah 42, uh, I'm sorry, 41. Nope, 42, verse 1. says this, behold, what are the next two words? All right, not all at the same time, please. I'm overwhelmed with the voices when they were together. <laughs> behold, all right, there's our second identity word. So we already know Jesus as son, deeply loved, Fully affirmed. The father is so proud of his son, happy in his son. And now we see that the son is a servant. Behold my servant. Now check out this cool connection. Uh, well, and these words, in whom my soul delights. Uh, everybody wants a father who delights in them. I have put, check this out. I've put my spirit upon him. Wait, that's what just happened in Jesus' baptism. That just happened. Here's what he's going to do. Here's what the servant does. He brings forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and coastlands wait for his law. Guys, did you see that? Justice is mentioned three times in the work of the servant. That's why it's appropriate if anybody in this world should care about justice and injustice, it should be God's kids. Like, I mean, that's why Jesus came as servant, to restore justice to an unjust world. But there's something that we need to be kind of 
mm, not cautious, that's the wrong word, just aware of. Should you advocate for justice? Yes. Should we be able to identify and speak honestly about injustice in our world? Yes. But if Jesus is the one who is ultimately going to restore full justice, here's what we need to know. Any gain that we make towards eradicating injustice and seeing justice expressed will be an incomplete expression or an imperfect expression. Sadly, injustice will remain until Jesus returns and finally and fully restores justice and eradicates injustice in this world. So that's the work of the servant. We celebrate in it, we participate in it, but we think rationally about it. In other words, we live in the tension that there will be injustice in our broken world until Jesus returns and fully eradicates it. Two, two encouraging things also I want to show you about the servant. Notice in verse 3, it says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You know why that's really good news for us? Because we're the bruised reeds that he's talking about. We are the faintly burning candle wicks that he's talking about. Guys, Life in a broken world full of rebels results in a lot of bruised reeds, fragile, bruised reeds. Jesus doesn't come to condemn. He doesn't come to just finish, man, you're so broken, you're irreparable. Jesus comes and he finds the most badly bruised and damaged reeds and gently restores over a lifetime. For those of you who's flames or the fire of your faith is burning so faintly and so subjected to the winds of your life, Jesus guards the flame of your soul so that it is not extinguished. And he works to fan the little flames that are so fragile in your soul. He works to fan those into full flames that will never be extinguished. That's good news. It's also good news. Notice in verse 4, he's not going to grow faint or discouraged. Guys, that's the hope of the gospel. Because I grow faint and get discouraged. I am faint and discouraged right now. And I don't mean in my sermon right now. I mean in this season of life. Some of you have grown faint and are discouraged in this season of life. Some of you have tapped out. You're tapping out or you're thinking about tapping out. The good news of the gospel is Jesus doesn't grow faint He does not get discouraged, and he does not tap out. He will finish the good work that he started in you. He will restore, he will heal the bruises, and he will guard the flame and fan it into fuller flames. You don't have to be confident in yourself, okay? Can I just tell you something? You're not a good Christian. (laughs) I paid for that. That That was good. Thank you. Guys, can I be honest with you? This will be a little unsettling for you because I'm a pastor. I am not a good Christian. Your confidence should not be in your ability to be a good Christian. You're a bruised reed and a faintly burning wick. I am a deeply bruised reed and a really faintly burning wick. We grow weary and we tap out. Guys, Jesus won't. He doesn't. He will heal the bruises and he will sustain the flame that is just flickering in your soul right now. That's what the servant does. Okay? Good news of the gospel. Son, servant, and sent one. Notice how that passage in Mark wraps up. Verse 12, short words, it just says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So the Spirit, in the form of a dove, descends 
empowers Jesus, and then immediately sends him out. We know he goes into the wilderness. He battles, faces temptation. It's another story for another day. But then the Spirit, in the same way that he drove him and empowered him into the wilderness, empowers him and drives him all the way to the cross. He's sent. Jesus is a sent one. Isaiah preached sermons about this too. Here's just one more brief passage I want to show you. Isaiah 61, I believe. 61.1 says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. There it is again, the spirit being upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? Well, to bring good news to the poor. And here's our word. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So Jesus is the son. But he's not just the son. He's the servant. He's the son who serves the father by pursuing rebel kids and bringing them back home. And he's the son who is a servant who is also sent out of the family to go share the good news with rebels and the oppressed that there is hope for the brokenhearted and there is liberty for the captives. And prison doors can be open to those who are bound. That's good. Because there are some of you in this room this morning who are still sitting in your prison cell of rebellion. And you already know from your 20 to 30 years of life that you are incapable of opening the barred doors that hold you in. You feel imprisoned. Your soul feels heavy and dark. The good news of the gospel is Jesus is the one who is able not only to open the prison door, but to set you free from those things that have enslaved you for a lifetime, to restore life to your soul and to bring you all the way home to the Father. So what are the three identity statements of Jesus that we see in Mark? Jesus is what? Jesus is what? Son. Son. All right. And Jesus is? servant, and Jesus is sent. Okay. Good job. Kids, here's my picture for the day. Uh, I, I gave you one a couple weeks ago when I preached, because you got a spot on your notes to draw a picture. But now, some of you are looking at, at that, and you're like, he didn't draw that. <laughs> you're right. I did not draw this one, I, mostly. So, after that sermon, somebody came up to me, somebody in our family, and they're like, John, you know, I, I can help you. And, and I know what I need help with. I mean, I, some of the things I know. I need help with a lot of things. And so I said, all right, go ahead. You can have the next one. So he sends me this awesome picture. And then I said, do you mind if I edit it, though? Like, I do need to make it my own. Can you see where I edited it? Where did I write? Where? where what, what is it? Mm, mm. Now, my name's in there, but there's something else. The guy. That's me. I am on the anchor. And kids, what would you say that I'm doing on the anchor? What's it look? I'm resting. I'm resting because that's what the gospel invites you into. I don't have to create my own identity. I don't have to prove I belong somewhere. I don't have to do any of those things. My baptism anchors my identity in the Trinity, and in so doing, I can rest. I have rest. All right. Matthew 28, one more time. I just want to show you this, and then we'll make application for ourselves. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. So when I am baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, I am baptized into relationship or union with them. 
I am in relationship with the Father, in relationship with the Son, and in relationship with the Spirit. And so, when I try to answer the question, who am I? I look to my baptism. My baptism points me to the Trinity. I see the Spirit. Uh, I've got a piece of my identity from Him, a piece from the Son, and a piece from the Father. What piece of my identity do you think comes from the Father? Son, he establishes the family identity. I am my father's deeply loved son. He's well pleased in me. Now think about that, guys. Anyone, how many of you have ever been someone's kid? All of us, right? What do you want to hear from your dad's lips more than anything else? I'm proud of you. You're my girl. I love you deeply, and I, you make my heart so proud. I'm glad you're in my family. Sons especially, you want that from your dads, and you never outgrow that desire. You're my deeply loved son, and I am proud of you, boy. That's exactly what Jesus speaks over every one of his rebel, rescued-in kids in their baptism. You're my deeply loved son. Now, two words I want to give you, order and offer. The first word, order. The order of our baptismal identity is so important. These words come first. You don't do something to earn the Father's favor. You don't prove your place in the family. No. The Father initiates with broken, undeserving, rebel kids. He shows us kindness in Jesus. He brings us home, and he says, you're my deeply loved son, my deeply loved daughter. That's first your life as a servant and your life as a sent one flow out of your father's love and affirmation for you. You don't live as a servant to make dad happy and you don't live as a sent one to prove your place in the family. Order matters, okay? Offer, let's talk about offer. When we celebrate baptisms today and we reflect on our baptismal identity, that in the father we are sons, in Jesus, we are servants like he was. And isn't that beautiful, guys? Our culture values those people who have made enough money or have accumulated enough power to be served. God says, not in my family. You know who we honor? We honor servants. Being a servant is not a demotion. It's a promotion. Jesus himself, the creator of the world and our rescuing king, came as a servant and said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And then he, later, what did he tell his disciples? In the same way the Father sent me, what? Sending you to serve, right? So we're servants and we're sent ones. We considered the order. Now let's look at the offer. Guys, our baptism, our baptismal identity is an offer or an invitation for us to come back home. Maybe you came home to God the Father initially. You repented of your sin. You became a follower of Jesus and you were baptized Maybe that was the last time you spent any meaningful time at home with the Father's voice. Maybe this last week you spent more time away from your Father than you did near your Father. And you wonder how the Father will feel if you cast a shadow on His front yard again this morning. Guys, your baptismal identity answers for you how the Father feels when you draw near to Him when you deserve it least. When you have lived a life running from your father, accumulating shame and guilt, you know what the father says when he sees you walking up the driveway, coming back home? There's my boy. There's my deeply loved daughter. And the next words make you uncomfortable if you've been a Christian your whole life. 
and maybe surprise you if you're not, but the next words he says is, I love you so deeply and I'm so glad that you're in my family. Before you have done anything to prove you belong or to earn his love. That is the beauty of the gospel. Our baptismal identity is an offer to come home. It's an offer for those of you who are already Christians to come back home to your father's voice. It's an offer for those of you who profess faith in Jesus but have never been baptized to publicly declare and come home to your father through baptism. You could, you could be baptized today. Family, it's an, it's an offer for those of you who are still rebels and have never spent any time in the father's home to come home to the God who created you and the Father who has your identity waiting for you at home. Your souls are weary from trying to carve out your own identity, to create your identity, to prove your worth and your value in this world. All the while, you can rest at home when the Father gives you an identity that you were created for and you live as a son, a daughter, a servant, and a sent one. Last thing I want to say about the offer, it's not only an offer to come home, our baptismal identity is an offer to have an, a happy heart. You won't know happiness if you are living in any other identity other than son or daughter. You might have glimpses of happiness, but they won't last. You were created to live as God's son. You were created to live as God's daughter. Happiness is found not in discovering your own identity or defining it, but in in receiving it from the God who created you. There's another step towards happiness for your hearts too. It's not just receiving and living in that identity. It's embracing the identity of servant. We have all been discipled by a culture that tells us you will be most happy if you can get some wealth, get some money, get some influence, get some power, and be served by other people. But that's a lie. The gospel would say the pathway to happiness is the life of service, just like Jesus. Our baptismal identity is more than an invitation to come home. It's an invitation for your heart to know true happiness, perhaps for the first time in your life. A happy person is a person who lives as a son or daughter to God the Father, who lives the life of a servant, and who embraces the life of a sent one, like Jesus, sent to share the good news with other people that while we have rebelled and deserve judgment, there is a God who loves us and is pursuing us in Jesus and adopts us in as sons and daughters and shows us kindness day after day after day. So can I just ask you this question this morning? Are you living at home with the Father now? Have you lived at home with the Father this week? If not, what would it look like for you to come home this morning? Come home to the Father. For some of us, it would look like admitting our guilt, admitting some of the rebel things that we have done this week. For others of us, it would look like bringing our pain and our wounds to the Father and asking Him for help and healing instead of running away from Him to look for help or healing in other people or places. Just two of the ways it might look this morning. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate baptisms. We're going to hear some stories. And some people are going to share some powerful stories. And their voices matter deeply. But family, there will be one room in the voice that matters most and will speak the clearest. And it's the voice of the Father. 
And when these young ladies are baptized today, our father will speak again as he's spoken before, and he'll say, that's my girl. That's my daughter. I love her deeply. Nothing will ever separate her from my love. And my heart is so happy in her. She has nothing to prove to me. Jesus has already proved it on her behalf. I'm so glad she's in my family. There are three people who are scheduled to be baptized this morning, but I have a feeling there's somebody in here, others in here, who would like to come home and just don't know how. Guys, baptism is a part of the way that we come home. And though we have three people scheduled, I'd love to baptize anybody else in the room this morning who would like to take a step in, in, in coming back home to the Father. And if you don't have a change of clothes, don't worry. It's going to be raining outside in a minute anyway, so we're all going to get wet. George is going to come at this time and lead us in a prayer of confession, and we'll celebrate communion and celebrate baptisms and their stories. George, why don't you come on up?